We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna We're going to have competition out in a lot of different spots this week and give guys opportunity to, uh, to earn their, you know, earn starting uh, nods. Well, I think... Uh, there, there's several that um, you know we'll just we'll let it play out. There's in the secondary there'll be competition, maybe in the offensive line, uh, but you know we got to do what's best for our football team, uh, regardless of of uh, you know maybe where we thought you know well, let's do what's best and whoever's playing best will will be out. There. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I'm Drew Gear. Buffalo Bills season ticket holder and your host. That's Chris Kruger, my producer, and our guest in studio tonight, Dr. Kyle Trimble. Paging Dr. Faggot! Dr. Faggot! Now, Kyle, every time we have a guest, I've got a few questions, standard stock questions, just so we get to know you a little bit as a Bills fan. Okay. So, first off, Kyle, favorite Bills game that you can remember? Favorite Bills game I can remember? Oh... I've only been a fan for about 10 years now, and that's because I came up to Buffalo, went to school, and I fell in love with the team. So my uh, selection is limited, but it might be when we beat the Patriots. Was it 35-31? Yep, 2011. Yep, that's a game. I was in that stadium, and it was just rock and roll, and I was just like, all right, I picked the right team. Now I'm just waiting for the payoff. So that that was just – like it still gives me goosebumps thinking about that game. It just – the – the mastery that Chan Gailey had at the time. Now you see he doesn't have that, but at the time he had it, and that gave us some hope. Man, did they fool you? Wow. I know, I know. Oh. Well, you know what got me was the Dick Geron years, the seven nine. I'm thinking, man, this team's on that next step. They're gonna take that next step and get to the playoffs. Ten years later, what the hell are we doing? So we're yeah, Dick Geron fooled me. We're working on. It. I know, I know. So on game day. Now I know we touched on it before, but. Um, Food, drink, setting. If you're on, on an away week when there's no game at the stadium, what are you doing on game day? Are you the type of guy who goes to a bar? Are you the type of guy who goes to a friend's house? Or do you sit in a bar in your basement for fear that throwing chairs and 
hurling all kinds of epitaphs around. That's all Drew. <laughs> Throwing chairs. Our, our, our friend uh, upon in public. Yeah, there, there, there's no chairs for me, so I got that. You know, I'm not going to, you know, just drain any equipment. But uh, usually I sit out in the sunroom. I got my old man cave. I, I looks, I'm lucky I got that area. But I'll, I'll certainly <laughs> yeah, have a few beers. It all just depends on how the game's going. You know, no more than, you know, two or three. Maybe make up some pizza, wings. It just depends. And it's like, you know, if the bills start sucking halfway through the game, I'm not putting any effort into, you know, putting any, you know, buy, making any food, buying food. But if they're doing real good, I'm like, okay, I'm going to really invest in this game. Let's get another beer. Let, let's put on some wings. Let's let's really sit down and enjoy this. So it really just depends on that first, second quarter and see what happens there. But usually I'm sitting in the man cave and just enjoying myself and praying that the Bills win. Well, you know what happened? You know what just popped into my head? Sunday we're at Cincinnati. And obviously I'll be over at Drew's watching the game. Dude, I think I'm gonna like go to like Target or Walmart and just buy a wicker chair, just to see how you handle wicker. Oh Jesus, wicker! <laughs> Listen, the only reason that the, the only reason that the wicker bowl chair in my living room, I live with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. The only reason that that wicker chair still exists is because it's I, I never watch football in the living room. Otherwise, I'm sure it would be in pieces out on the curb already. I mean, as you heard in the intro, you know that was Rex Ryan from his interview from BuffaloBills.com. He's talking about how they're ready to open this thing up. I think that at this point, I mean, you can hear it in his voice. He's trying not to say a lot of things. There's a lot of things that are right there on the tip of his tongue that he's just really trying not to say. But ultimately what it comes down to is you're seeing a coaching staff that realizes where we have to get to and knows not only what what they think it's going to take to get there, but what the people, I think they've identified some guys that they don't think can get them there right now or at least need to be pushed in order to get them there. It's going to be crazy to see what happens over the next couple weeks, but we're going to jump right into it here. As we always do, we're going to start off with the Bills News Update. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Ladies and gentlemen... I don't know if any of you have heard, but something tragic has happened. It's with a heavy heart that I have to announce that our resident ladies' man, the, you know, the Buffalo Bills resident ladies' man, Mia Khalifa aficionado and strong safety Duke Williams has been released by the team. Hello, ladies. It's like uh, sad for me. It's like going to be the last time I get to play this when we talk about Duke Williams and his love for Mia Khalifa. Now he's got way more time to slide into them DMs and get on Mia Khalifa. However, this song does come back in... Was it May is when the draft is? In May when we draft Chad Kelly. I can use it again. Oh, oh my God. I can use it again. I guess. I mean, you're talking about Duke Williams. Now, Duke Williams is a guy we drafted in the fourth round out of Nevada, he seemed like he really could bring a lot to this defense. But, he, I mean, his hard-hitting style of play and the ball skills from the, that he showed off when he was at Nevada never really translated into success at the NFL level. Started week one with a play against the Ravens. Right. He got I burned mean, with a touchdown. I mean, I think after that, the team, the, the team started to lose a lot of trust in him. And he never saw significant playing time after that. But then even when they were forced to after the Aaron Williams injury... He never really got into the flow of things. I mean, I just felt like 
he was, you know, they, they played Meeks more often than they played Duke Williams, which I think kind of illustrated how far into the coaching staff's doghouse he was. So to see this, I mean, I'm disappointed because when we drafted him, I was excited about all of his potential. But it just seems like the coaching staff is just, you know, they're confident that... Well, he wasn't drafted with his staff. He wasn't drafted with his staff, but I think that the front office realizes that he's just not performing to where they think that someone in that position needs to be. But in order to fill that roster spot, the Bills reached out to veteran safety James Idebo. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that properly. Who knows? I mean, you read it, it could have been pronounced five different ways. The fact is, he's 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 a veteran safety at the NFL level. Kind of a juryman, though. I mean, he played he played for Rex Ryan when Rex Ryan was the head coach of the New York Jets. Okay? But he's also had stints with the Ravens, with the Patriots. He's played with the Lions. I mean, he's kind of been around. And he was a veteran guy who was out there on the market. There wasn't a whole lot of interest in him preseason. And that's why he wasn't on a roster now. I mean, I... I I don't even know who had him in the preseason, if anybody actually signed him. I mean, I think that this move signals that they think that this guy with his veteran experience can get the communication aspect of our secondary down, which is something that I think that they really looked at Duke Williams and thought that he, he struggled with. You know, that's the only reason I see to make this move. I think Duke Williams is a better athlete. You know, I think he's a better athlete than Idibo is. You know, considering he's younger, he's probably a little bit faster at this point in his career, hasn't taken all the hits and everything else. So the fact that they're making this move, I think that they just they trust that we needed to upgrade that position with someone who's experienced with NFL terminology and kind of understands what playing in a Rex Ryan defense means. I mean, that's the only reason I see to make that move. Yeah, and then he also said Monday, open competition. Yeah, true. And they, You heard it in the open. He's talking about opening up competition in a number of different positions. And he's been in, in some good teams, like good systems, and Patriots, Ravens. He's been around the league where they do things right and they win, so he understands that winning mentality, so he's going to understand how to jump in and just contribute rather than learning and hopefully you get it the right way. That's true. That That's a very solid point. So speaking of competition, that brings us to our next story. The Buffalo Bills center Eric Wood diagnosed with a broken leg in the Monday Night Football game against the Seahawks. And he's been placed on the IR, which if we have, you know, if, if the talk is correct of us eventually bringing back Sammy Watkins, then that ends Eric Woods' season, okay? The loss of Eric Woods is huge, Eric Wood, because his athleticism allowed us to do a lot of things. You know, we, we run, you hear it said a lot that this term pin and pull rushing attack we did a lot of things that you don't see a lot of teams. You know, teams will pull guard when they're running. They'll have pulling guards one way or the other way to try to help get our get our running back an extra seal block on the edge where you're trying to run off left tackle or trying to run off right tackle. We would pull with the center, which isn't, I mean, it's not exclusive to the Bills, but it's it's uncommon in the NFL because a, a lot of teams look at big centers who are better at pass protecting and anchoring down and aren't maybe as athletic and able to get as quickly to the edge of the offense. So his loss is going to really be felt on the offensive side of the football for the Bills. And obviously we wish him luck in his recovery. Now the question becomes who takes over? You want to talk about a competition, you've got one right here. You've got Ryan Groy, and then you've got Patrick Lewis. Ryan Groy, according to NFL.com, when you look at his his draft profile, he was pegged as a fifth to sixth round draft pick. 
he doesn't sound like the most explosive explosive athlete in the world, but he kind of you know he played for you know a team that used a lot of uh, heavy rushing attack. I believe he played for Wisconsin. I don't know where he played. Come on, you're getting into college football now. No, I just watch games. I don't look up where current Bills players went to college. Why not? I think you you're the host. You should know that. <laughs> no, he played at Wisconsin. A football team that kind of, you know, there's a bunch of teams in college football that have a certain pedigree for how they play the game of football. Wisconsin's one of them. So he played under Brett Bielema? Yeah. And if you are a if you are a Wisconsin offensive lineman, you have to be able to run block in some capacity. And that's kind of Ryan Groy's game. You know, from everything I've read and every you know, what we saw in a little, you know, because he got some action in the preseason. We got to see what he was capable of. I think that maybe this extra time in an NFL system is possibly help him because I'll say this in the run blocking department Eric Wood was phenomenal for us now I don't think that Groy is as athletic as Wood is so I don't think he can just pick up right where he left off but he's he's got starting size I mean the guy's six foot five and he has the knowledge of our playbook not only that but he's 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 okay in pass protection which, if I can be honest, Eric Wood was struggling in pass protection, You know, going by the numbers of pro football focus. That was actually a struggle of his game since the onset of the season. So I'm never going to say that you know we're going to get better without Eric Wood out there. I think that our running game is going to see some changes. There's going to be some changes to the way we have to go about doing things if the guy who takes the job is Ryan Groy. But at the same time, I don't think that the drop-off is going to be as big as some people think. And then on the other side, you've got Patrick Lewis. Patrick Lewis, he's a jack of all trades, but he doesn't really master any of them. Okay, he started a lot of he started a number of games for the Seattle Seahawks over the last few years. You know, he played last year in the game against, um, you know, right up until they played Carolina and got bounced out of the playoffs. And then he also played the previous season in the playoffs when they made their run to the Super Bowl against the Patriots. So he's experienced, you know, and he was one of those guys who, you know, reading articles over it, you know, from our f- couple episodes ago, we had. Um, from field goals. Lars Russell. We had Lars Russell from field goals. I was at field goals reading some stuff that they had about Patrick Lewis. And it was interesting because they talk about him as when their centers were struggling and then when guys went down with injury. They tried a couple different options. Things weren't really working. And then they put Patrick Lewis in and things just started to click on, on offense for their team. But the coaching staff just never liked the guy. You know, they, they kept bringing in competition, and he could never seem to just win that starting job, even though when he was put in, he was effective. Now, through all, their, through all their analysis, the one thing that worries me about Patrick Lewis is this. He struggles in pass protection against big, some of the bigger physical defensive tackles in football. That's a problem for us. Because, I mean, you take a look at who's coming up on our schedule over the next few weeks. Geno Atkins. Geno Atkins played against the Seahawks in that game where they got bounced out of the playoffs when he was with Carolina. Now he's back with Cincinnati. Geno Atkins is a monster at defensive tackle. So you're going to need someone who can you know, play a more physical game with a D-tackle like that. You've also got another game coming up against Ndamukong Sue and another game against Muhammad Wilkerson, Sheldon Richardson, and Leonard Williams. All of those guys are going to rotate in and seed time in the middle. I mean, so if you're talking about, you know, between the two, just based on what I know about them, my vote would go for for Ryan Groy. 
you know, he's a little, maybe he's not as proven at the NFL level, but he seems to have enough upside. Yeah, the struggles that Patrick Lewis has had, if that's what we have to look forward to, considering the defenses we have, Groy might be the way to go. That would just seem to make sense to me. I mean, it's not ideal, but at least we're not scrambling for street-free agents. Right? No, we did get him at, what, the end of training camp? Yep. we picked. Actually, I think it was like week two or three we picked up Patrick Lewis. Which, again, another move by Whaley to say, listen, I know we already have a center, and we've got a backup center, but I want this guy. Because I see him out there, and I can throw him on my practice squad for nothing. You know, it won't cost me a draft pick. It won't cost me a trade. I can grab this guy and stash him, and if I need him, he's there. When you think of anything, what what a lot of the moves Whaley has shown over the last couple months has been that he understands depth, which is the first time I can say that about a Bills GM in probably a decade. I mean, that seems to be the Achilles heel of our team all the time, is that we're one injury away. You know, our team seems to be one injury away from not being a competitive football team. I mean, you look at the Patriots... You, you don't know these half of these guys' names. And Bill Belichick finds a way to make them useful. So I, I honestly, I like this trend of us having guys already in-house when things like this are happening. Hopefully, hopefully we can get some good things out of this uh, center competition and someone who can come in and stabilize that offensive line wins the job. And then, since we're talking about injuries, Sammy Watkins. Okay, it's probably the, one of the other big stories of the week. He's eligible to start practicing with the team again, but according to Rex Ryan, that's not going to happen yet. Now, he, Rex claims that they're going to take a wait-and-see approach, which I honestly believe is the first intelligent medical decision that our staff has advised Rex Ryan to make since he got hired here. Chris, right or wrong? I mean, Correct. Somebody's going to die of dysentery. How bad our medical staff is. If this was a, it's, a, it's a running joke on the Rockpile Report. If our medical staff... They're incompetent. If they were running this show, and this was... And Kyle, play, give me your resume. Instead, instead of playing football, <laughs> this was a game of Oregon Trail. Everyone would have died of dysentery already. Yeah, they need to have a... They need to have um, new progressive doctors. Because the medical staff, we've said it before, been here since, Le- since we had Levy. Mm-hmm. So get some young... Up-and-coming doctors that are a bit progressive in their field and get them in here. Oh, and, and I've been saying that for years because there's only a few consistencies with the Buffalo Bills over the last 15 years. Kyle, are you fixing your resume right now? I'm trying to. <laughs> Make it look as good as possible, shining it up. There, there's only a few consistencies with Bills teams over the last 15 years, and that's injuries and a lack of depth because our GMs haven't drafted well. But the injuries are the... It's crazy to me that this medical staff is... And and then I think mismanagement of injuries is another huge, just kind of a glaring mark against this medical staff. But then, you know, things happen league-wide that make you wonder how much of this stuff is actually on the medical staffs themselves and how much of it is on the league. How much of it is... is How much of this stuff falls on the the way things are trending in the NFL? I seem to think that it pushes more toward the product, making sure that the players get out there and do what they need to do. Because I don't know if you ever caught any of the interviews Percy Harvin did recently. Mm-hmm. He was saying that he had to step away and just let himself heal up because he was always getting pushed from the medical staff and the coaches to get back out there and get 
you know, playing and be healthy. So once he's able to step back and get healthy, it took him almost a good year. Then he was able to then get out there and at least contribute. But before that, he was always hurt, and you're thinking, what a bum. Well, yeah, and that's one of the things is when you hear him talk about how med- different medical staffs would, you know, kept bumping up his timetables for recovery. And he's trying to tell him, you know, this is my body. I, you know, I, I, I don't feel well. I don't feel right enough to play. But you've got a medical staff that's saying, okay, we know he's important to our game plan. We've got to get him out here. I'm sure they're getting pressure from the coaching staff. So they're pushing a player through all these different treatments and then just slapping, okay, a label on him. Okay, he's ready. There we go. Roll him out there. And how often does that ever work? We've seen it multiple times with LaShawn McCoy. It just doesn't work when you're when, when a player isn't truly healthy. I think going back to the beginning of this season with Sammy Watkins, I don't think he ever should have been allowed to see the field at the onset of the season. I think at that point is when you start looking at, okay, what am I, what, what can I go out week one or week two or week three on waivers? What, what can I do right now? What trade can I make until Sammy Watkins is ready to go? Because I'm not going to jeopardize his long-term health to have him hobble around and be ineffective. I mean, he was basically a decoy for the first four weeks of the year. That's, that's hard to swallow when he's easily the most talented offensive playmaker on your team. I've said it before. My mindset when it comes to receivers is quarterback always makes the receiver. Mm-hmm. You look around the league, most of the top guys aren't really number one people. Who's who's the best receiver in the football right now? See, it's tough because Des Bryant's playing really well. You've got A.J. Green, who's leading the league in receiving. You've got, um, or is he second now, I think. I think now he's dropped a second after this week. You've got- Why don't we go with the obvious choice? It was in everyone's fantasy draft, Antonio Brown. Yeah. Six-round pick. Mm-hmm. You can find receivers anywhere because the rules are tailored to protect the quarterback and the receiver. You can't touch them. It's, after five yards, it's basketball. Yeah. Anybody, Any receiver can get open that's good. And I, I, any quarterbacks make the receiver. Then, end, of, end of story. Well, and you're right. You can find a receiver late. And we did get a receiver in the draft. He's just been injured. Colby Listenby. Yeah, I know. And that's, that's one of the other things. Is that when people talk about everything we need to do to you know, kind of fix our wide receiver core, I don't think there's an easy fix for it in the middle of a season. There just isn't. Okay? But I do think we compounded our issue by trying to force Sammy Watkins to play when he wasn't 100%. He aggravated whatever he had in his foot. And now we're in wait-and-see mode. You know, we, we hope he can come back, but we don't know when or if that'll happen. I, I ultimately think that we did ourselves a disservice, and the medical staff really did the coaching staff a disservice by telling them that he was ready to go when clearly he was still not healthy. And I and so that just, it, it's another thing that just chaps my ass, but there's nothing I can do about it now. We're all just going to have to do what the coaching staff is doing and wait and see. Wait and see when Sammy's ready to come back. Because I'll tell you, for this stretch run we're about to hit, it we need him. But when but when he comes back, we need healthy Sammy. I don't want to see any more of this half-assed Sammy who's injured, but we're forcing him out there because we think we need him. If we lose one of the next two to three games, shut him down because we're not making the playoffs. Well, yeah, at that point, I wouldn't. If we can't find a way to put a couple together, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves in the conversation. Not a couple. But- we need to win out. But the fact is, is that if we can't start making significant progress towards that, I almost don't want to risk it because his long-term health should be the most important thing. 
we're going to switch gears again. We're going to start talking about the Buffalo Bills. Now, midseason recap. Bucky Gleason of the Buffalo News is known for being one of the most negative pricks on the planet. Okay, He hates everything that the Bills do. I can't stand the guy. I've actually told it to his. I have told him that to his face once, and he just laughed and said, "But you're still reading it." I was like, "Yeah, you got me. You're right. I'm still reading it." He posted an article in the Buffalo News this week, trying to discuss why, for once, he has some optimism for the rest of our season. You know, he went out of his way to cite the fact that other teams have been in a similar situation to where we are right now and have still made the postseason. I think that if you guys were to go check that out, it would really kind of help set you up for what we're about to get into, which is the Buffalo Bills at the bye week. What is our team? Who are we and where are we going to go? Injured. <laughs> Bruised and battered. I mean, let's take a look at this by the numbers here. So one of my favorite websites, sportingcharts.com, you know, they, they've got a just a giant comprehensive database of all kinds of statistics that you can kind of use to parse through the NFL season and really learn some things about different football teams that you might not have recognized or might not have trends that you may not have seen. Just looking at the Buffalo Bills, our record is four and five. Our AFC record, we're one and three. Is that right, Chris? We're one and three in the AFC? Sounds about right. Our lone win against the New England Patriots, led by Jacoby Brissett. I mean, who are we as a football team? Let's our strengths. Let's talk about who you know. What are our strengths as a football team? When you think about the Buffalo Bills, what are we good at, Chris? Losing <laughs> for sixteen years. Oh, and count. You're or, killing are you, me. You're talking about this season. This season. Rushing. Damn straight. We have one of the most potent rushing attacks in football. But after five chances, and they don't like what. It looks like, then they just move away from it. Ugh. So, LaShawn McCoy, he's fourth in the NFL in rushing yards. 683 total. Fourth in yards per game. And he's got six touchdowns with only two fumbles. You got to love that, right? You got to love everything you're getting out of that guy. Our offensive line is another part of this, you know, just this rushing attack. I mean, Anthony Lynn took over for Greg Roman when after two games, our offense looked anemic. Looked like we couldn't get anything going. He used what Greg Roman had kind of built, and now he's adding his own personal wrinkles in there and kind of continued our trend of just aggressive running on the edges of defenses. I mean, that is the trademark of the Bills' rushing attack. If you notice, we don't do a whole lot of pounding the rock between the tackles. Usually it's we use a little misdirection in the backfield, and you bring a guy up off either left guard, off left tackle, and you're trying to find a crease. And when you find a crease with a running back like LaShawn McCoy, he can kind of create on his own. So that's been another strength of our team so far. Now, obviously, that's going to be tested with you know the loss of Eric Wood, but I'm still happy overall with what we've gotten out of our offensive line so far this season. One of the other positive points from this season has been our front seven. Last year, they were probably the biggest weakness on our defense. You know, and a lot of that had to do with depth. I mean, look at our linebackers. Last season, we had Nigel Bradham and Preston Brown. We lost our top reserve in the preseason. We lost the, what was it, Tony Stewart? We lost him to an injury in week five or six. 
Yeah, I thought even more, I thought Stewart got released like in preseason. No, Stewart started one game for us and ended up on the IR. We ended the season playing Preston Brown and then just a whole platoon of street free agents. Kevin Reddick. Kevin Reddick was AJ Tarpley was Who? starting football. Yeah, exactly. Was starting football games for the Buffalo Bills. Whaley has completely overhauled our linebacking core, and the returns have been pretty solid. I mean, Zach Brown is third in the NFL in total tackles. Preston Brown has been playing pretty well. Even it doesn't. When we lost Reggie Ragland, we thought that that was it. That was the end. Okay, you did. Well, I did. Roll because, Tide. <laughs> no, because the fact is, is that's a guy we we moved up in the draft to get a guy who we thought could be a difference maker on defense. So to lose him before he ever plays a real snap, when you know that your top reserve is coming off of a down year and an injury of his own. That's not exactly the best situation in the world. But Zach Brown has lived up to his billing. I mean, he's exceeded my expectations for him. And I think that that's been a big part of what our defense has been able to do. And then you look at the defensive line. I mean, they are just... We haven't had any contributions from our most talented player, Marcel Darius. Correct. Marcel Darius has missed the first four games of suspension. Soft tissues. Then he pulled his hamstring. Because he wasn't conditioned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. it. These soft tissues just come down to conditioning. But so Marcel Darius tweaks his hamstring. He's only played one game. If you were to tell me at the beginning of the season that Marcel Darius wouldn't be starting any but one game for us to this point in the season, I would tell you that our defensive line would have fallen apart. Instead, we've been one of the strongest defensive lines in football. I mean, obviously, Lorenzo Alexander is the story of the season so far. Doesn't he have more sacks this year than he's had in his entire career? His entire career yeah. leading up to this, he had nine sacks. He's got ten going into this Sunday's game. Then Shaq Lawson and Adolphus Washington, two guys who got drafted to play on our defensive line. They're rookies. Okay, Shaq has two sacks while only playing part-time because Lorenzo Alexander's been playing so well, we've been able to ease Shaq in, which I think is really good for his long-term development. And then you've got Adolphus Washington. He's been a rotational player. During the draft, the thing about him, everyone called him a pass rusher who struggles against the run. Yet, just a couple weeks ago, they were touting Adolphus Washington as one of the best run, run-stopping run defensive tackle, like rookie defensive tackles in the NFL. He was in the top five. Considering we got him in the third round when there was guys who were going in the first and second, that seems like great scouting by Doug Whaley, and I'm really happy with our returns on him so far. Yeah, but defensive tackle was the position of depth when it came to the draft. Absolutely. No, and that's why you can afford to take a talented player like that in the third round and still expect him to be able to come in and contribute, which I think he has. And then Kyle Williams looks like vintage Kyle Williams. I, I I don't know how the guy keeps doing it because he's old. <laughs> I'm not going to make any bones about it. He's old. And yet he's still out there slugging it out with offensive guards and with centers, and he's still getting pressure, and he's he's doing all the things that makes him Kyle Williams. You know, it's, he was, what, a fifth-round pick, correct? He was a fifth-round draft pick out of LSU, mm-hmm. which, I mean, LSU, I mean, I guess it's okay. I guess it's, I guess it's an okay college. You know, <laughs> they're all right. We've seen better. <laughs> now, the, the only thing that worries me about Kyle long-term is that next year, his contract comes with an $8 million cap hit. For as well as he's playing this season, I can't see them. 
I think he's a candidate for a restructure, but then the question becomes, do you think he takes it? No. I think we're what we're getting out of Adolphus Washington is is going to be is just going to flow right into see you later Kyle Williams. Thanks for your service. Well, at the end of the day, we are one of the, you know, we're last time I checked, I I believe, you know, I'm going to take you have to take a look here at sportingcharts.com, but as far as sacks go, I'm trying to find out where we stand as far as just total sacks for the defense. I mean, I think we're high 20s, last I heard. No, I know, and, and we, we've been getting pressure. I think that's the other thing, too, is the thing that we couldn't handle last year was getting, you know, we couldn't get pressure. I remember you saying we couldn't get gaps created by our defensive line because our linebackers at that time were not fast enough to hit those gaps because well, we had A.J. Tarpley and That Kevin was one Reddick. of the big things. Going into last season, we really struggled to try to create pressure because our linebackers couldn't blitz. That's a big thing for Rex. Rex likes to get in there. He likes to mix his coverages. He likes to roll some, some zone and then mix in a linebacker blitz in the A-gap. That's one of his specialties, a Rex Ryan defense. With all those injuries, he wasn't able to do it. But this season, we're seeing what a Rex Ryan defense is supposed to look like. Now, the only thing we're not getting is that help on the back end. And that brings me to kind of the uh, the weaknesses here of our team. Yeah. Secondary play. That's where it starts. You know, If I had to, you asked me what my least favorite thing about this year's NFL, you know, Buffalo Bills team, I can tell you my number one with a bullet would be our secondary play. They're middle of the pack if you look at the statistics. You know, we're not the worst passing defense in the NFL. But the numbers don't accurately tell the story of who we are as a football team. I mean, outside of a few games, we've been nothing short of porous on defense in the secondary. And a lot of that starts with the play of our cornerbacks. I mean, that was this that was the position. The one position on this roster coming into this season that if you asked me if I thought we were set, I would tell you that you're crazy to think that we would ever need to bring in another player or open up a competition. I thought we have our starters set, we've got our nickel, and we've got a big, tall guy who can maybe contribute sometimes in dime packages, and Kevon Seymour. You know, I thought we had everything covered. And so far this season, even with all the pressure that our front seven is creating, our cornerbacks haven't been able to pick their play up to match that level. I mean, it's you got it's. Let's start with Gilmore. He's not playing with his trademark aggressiveness. He's just not, and that's it. That's aggressiveness on the ball, aggressiveness on the wide receiver. He just looks tentative, and he routinely gives up way too much cushion underneath. Now that almost raises the question for me: Does he just not trust our safeties at this point? Because you saw that in New England with uh, Hogan. Yeah, he doesn't trust the fact that he can he can be physical because if he gets beat while he's trying to make a play on the ball or if he's trying to make a play on the receiver and the receiver gets behind him, maybe he knows that we don't have a whole lot of talent on the back end to back him up. So he's if he's playing tentative, that would kind of back up what I'm seeing on tape when I watch him play. He's giving way too much cushion to wide receivers. And they're just offensive coordinators are picking on that. They're keying on it in their passing attack. Then you got Darby. Okay, Ron Darby last year was a guy who was being talked about as possible defensive rookie of the year. Now he's, he was benched last game. They blamed it on an illness, but, I mean, I would have been ill too if I just got torched like that by Doug Baldwin. 
And I'll, I'll be honest, he got beat like a drum. And it's not the first time it's happened this season. Well, let's just go back to training camp. Training camp, he said that he wasn't that good in zone coverage, and that's what he wanted to work on. He was better in man coverage, and he wanted to work on his zone. And you know what? It shows that you're not very good at a zone coverage. No, not at all. He shouldn't. And that, But then at the same time, when he's playing man, he was playing man against uh, Doug Baldwin in that Monday Night Football game. It's the most recent example I can think of. But he bit so badly on that double move that he couldn't, even with his speed, he couldn't catch up to him. And we got burned for a huge play that set up, you know, what was kind of a giant momentum shift. You know, we score that opening touchdown and we think we're sitting pretty. And then they come right back down on the next possession and score. And it kind of takes the wind out of our sails a little bit. You know, it's, and then Nikel Roby. He has a knack for big plays. I'll give him that. I'm sure everyone out there has seen the Instagram video of me screaming at the TV about how bad we are, and then he <laughs> just pick sixes it. But he's getting abused by teams this season because all they're doing is putting bigger, physical, more physical wide receivers or tight ends on him. You know, offensive coordinators are finding him now and saying, okay, here's Nikel Roby. I'm going to do a little pre-snap motion, and if he's not going to move to follow whoever he's covering and they're not going to shuffle someone else over... I'm going to put my Rob Gronkowski. I'm going to put my Jimmy Graham on Nikel Roby. Good luck. You're five foot ten. You're 185 pounds. You're not going to stop this guy. And so far, that's been a place where he's been beaten again and again and again this season. I mean, you saw it in the Monday Night Football game. To, to this point in the season, Corey White and Kevon Seymour have only gotten to play, on average, 13 to 16% of snaps in each and every game. Last week, by the second half, Kevon Seymour was taking most of the nickel snaps. And I think that, and now you're talking about going up against a team like Cincinnati who has a big tight end like like Eifert. Are you going to roll Kobe, Nickel Roby out there again or are you going to put a bigger cornerback on him and take your chances and hope that even though he's a rookie, his size might be able to slow him down a little bit? I mean, I feel like that's what the coaching staff is left with, and that's why you hear this talk about competition. You know, they're going to open it up for competition. I think that they need that, and they need to figure out how to fix this secondary because, I mean, I think that is that is the crux of our season. That's where this all comes together. If our secondary can figure out how to play in the second half of this season, yeah, it's then we're going to win some football games. And if we can't, Teams like Oakland and the Steelers are going to eat us alive. And as I alluded to earlier, safety depth. That's a big part of it, too. After we, I mean, we were already kind of thin. And then we lost Aaron Williams. Robert Blanton doesn't look to have enough deep speed to be a reliable starter in this kind of a system. You know, a system where he's being asked to sometimes, you know, you've got one-on-one on the outside with a cornerback. You have to be responsible for that guy, that wide receiver, if he breaks contain. Meeks and Duke Williams, who is obviously now cut, I mean, they, they struggled when they were called on to make plays. In the Dolphins game, after Meeks came in, he drops an interception, and then he gets burned twice for first downs on what have turned out to be touchdown scoring drives. That's, they're not reliable starters at the NFL level at this point. And for as much as Graham has tried to do for us, he doesn't have the deep speed. He didn't have it when we signed him. But he's really starting to look old when you watch him play on tape. He's still a great in-the-box safety. 
And I think that in short, you know, in the short pass coverage area, he can provide you with enough. But as far as being a deep safety, he just doesn't have it anymore. And I think that that may be having a degenerative effect on our cornerbacks. I don't know if anybody else out there agrees with me. Chris, I mean, what do you think? No. Aaron Williams is a big, huge loss. And the only way to replace him will be in April or May, whenever the draft is. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be tough for this team moving forward, but I think that's why you see the move to cut Duke and bring in Idibo to play safety. They know. They're like, listen, our communicate. And I think that that's the other thing. Without Aaron Williams back there to try to organize the communication, it's just not it's just not happening for them. They need another veteran pro who can come in and can say, "Listen, I know how to communicate. I've done this for years. I've, you know, I've been in systems." You put him with a guy like a Corey Graham. You put him with other players, a Robert Blanton, and maybe that kind of patches some of these holes. You know, because that's Duke Williams never showed anything. You know, he. Someone earlier on Twitter made a comment about how this move is the move of a desperate football team. I said, no. What what it is is they're they're replacing a guy who some people view as a has-been. They're replacing a guy who was a never-was with a guy who's a (laughs) has-been. But I'd take that over this current status quo. No no disrespect to Duke Williams, but that's just... I feel like this change might bear fruit for the Bills. Wouldn't hurt. Might as well try something. Right? And then injuries. Obviously, injuries have been the one of the biggest weaknesses of our team this entire season. And there's nothing we can do about that. Okay? They've affected teams all over the NFL. We talked about the Vikings earlier. They started out as a healthy football team. And then they just lost their ability to compete when they couldn't get anything going up front in the trenches. You know, They looked dominant when they were undefeated. And now they're on a four-game losing streak. And they have no clue how to fix it. Buffalo, it started in the offseason. I mean, we lost. It started off with our depth players. I mean, Ike and Polly. Mm-hmm. He was projected to be a backup defense, outside linebacker slash defensive end. Reggie Ragland was a borderline starter, possibly backup, depending on how training camp shook out. But he, we never got to see that materialize. We lost both of them to ACL tears. Cordy Glenn goes out with an ankle injury, which eventually put Cyrus Quanjo in. Left tackle. To, I mean, which Quanjo? I he looked good when he did get to play. You know, I mean, as a reserve, he's he didn't do a terrible job, but we needed we needed courting one, and I think that that injury also kind of set us back as far as the second half of the Ravens game, the Jets game. You know, it just really kind of screwed us having that kind of an injury on our offensive line, and then we lost Sammy Watkins, but he was a shell of himself the entire the entirety of the season because he wasn't healthy. LaShawn McCoy has missed time. Marcel Darius has missed time, both with suspension and with injury. Aaron Williams, probably one of the better playmakers on our defense on the IR. We're just, they they kind of crushed our, our talent level at the safety position. Robert Woods, ankle injury that's been nagging him. And you can tell he's not a hundred percent. Marquise Goodwin and Brandon Tate have both this time with concussions. I mean, I'm just going down this list. I mean, our wide receiver group was so thin that we had to go grab Justin Hunter and then Percy Harvin off the street in order to field a somewhat competitive uh, wide receiver core. And now our starting center, Eric Wood, 
Lost for the season with a broken leg. We just can't seem to get away from this injury bug. And so it's frustrating. It's pissing me off just talking about it. I'm getting fired up over here, guys. It's, it's robbing our team of valuable playmakers that we need to be competitive in an NFL level. You know, I honestly believe that there's a few games that maybe if we're healthy, maybe if we have a full roster, maybe the, maybe the ball bounces differently. Maybe we have enough offense to stave off Miami in that game down there. You know, maybe we have a healthy Sammy Watkins who can threaten a defense of the Ravens enough to open up some more room for LaShawn McCoy. But we'll never know. The game's already been played. The loss is already on the sheet. The fact is, is I, it should give our fans a little bit of confidence to see that they're hanging tough through all of these injuries. But God help us if we sustain any more of them. I mean, do you guys agree that we probably don't have the depth to sustain much more in the way of injuries? Our depth is starting now. Lorax, 10 sacks. Who's number, who's number one like for linebacking was Raglan. And then we had, he went down. And so our number two was the free agent, Zach Brown. And he's filled in fantastic. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, and so, I mean, that should give fans some sense of solace that, hey, when this team is healthy... Yeah. We're going to be deep, and we're going to be talented. Darius has missed time the whole season. And then you plug in Adolphus Washington. Yeah, but being a deep and talented team doesn't help us this week against the Bengals. And you look at it, too. After a while, there's the reason why they're stars and why they're backups. And after a while, once you get rid of those stars due to the injury, that backup quality just isn't there. The first thing I think of is if anybody follows baseball, they always talk about uh, wins above replacement. I don't really understand all that much, but – when you look at guys like 6.9 wins above replacement, that, from what I understand, is if that player's in there, they're going to have six point more, 6.9 more wins likely with that player playing in there than if their backup's in there. So I don't know if there's a stat like that for football. Well, you imagine the same effect, is there? There definitely is. And that's, that's been one of the problems, that the guys, the guys that we've lost have taken a look at those projections. Wins above replacement from a lot of the guys that we've lost, it doesn't really affect it much. Do you know what does? Losing Sammy Watkins, that hurt. Losing Eric Woods, Eric Wood, that hurts. Losing Aaron Williams, that hurt. You know, linebackers, when I was complaining about it, our friend Greg Trelone came to me and said, look at the wins above replacement from for linebackers in football. It's middle of the road uh-huh. at best. You know, even the most impactful linebackers don't dictate a whole game. But losing a center, your number one wide receiver, and the best player in your secondary, that is crippling. Mm-hmm. And right now, we're, we're on the ropes. We're not dead yet. We're on the ropes. <laughs> now, I asked everybody here at the table to come up with their entrance. I want to I go around the table. We'll finish with me. To this point in the season, I want your most valuable and least valuable player. Start, Chris, we'll start with you. Least valuable player is... Stephon Gilmore. He's just not playing as well as somebody should be in a contract year. If you want to get paid, then play like you deserve to get paid. MVP. MVP is uh, probably Lorax because he's been healthy the whole season and he has been such a surprise for us. All right, we're going to... Come over right. to Kyle. Uh, I mean, I wanted to say the whole Bill sucker here is my least valuable, but if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Chris and go with, with uh, Stephon Gilmore. I mean, he just hasn't stepped up. We drafted him first round, correct? Mm-hmm. you got to play like a first-round player. I know that you're going to come out with 
awesome games every single time, but there should be that consistency there. And it's not there this year, especially when he's standing to make hopefully a lot of money. So I think he needs to step it up. As for most valuable, I'm going to go on the offensive side and say LaShawn McCoy because we saw what happened in the Miami game when he wasn't in there. His hamstrings all busted up, and he just wasn't the same player, and we couldn't run the ball, and we were just kind of like running around with our heads cut off. So if we lose him, we really lose a huge part of who we are, and we own rushing. So that's why he's MVP in my book. All right, all right. And you know what? Those are both good points. You like Lorenzo Alexander. You like um, McCoy. You like LaShawn McCoy as your season MVP so far. Now, on the on the LVP side, I have to agree with you. Okay, I, I have to agree with you because Stephon Gilmore to this point in the season, I mean, he just hasn't earned that contract. Now, whether I think it's because he's got these, you know, whether it's because he doesn't trust the safeties, whether he, you know, is trying to avoid injury, there there could be a number of different reasons why he struggled. But I think that he was the one guy that we all expected to come out here and be our rock on defense. And the fact that he hasn't done it really speaks volumes as to why our team is struggling. I mean, his personal struggles have kind of caused the entire team's struggles. You know, he, he, we can't stop anyone throwing the ball anymore. That's a problem in a Rex Ryan defense that's predicated on tough cornerback play. You know, that's what frees your front seven up to do exotic blitzes and to kind of, you know, control the center of the field is that you have to be able to trust that your cornerbacks can win on the outside. And if they're not doing that, then you're in a lot of trouble. Because that's then you see games like the Rams game. You know, we won that game, okay? And everyone made fun of me for flipping out about giving up chunk yardage to this team. But I'll tell you what, is it funny now? Is it funny when you watch our team get carved up by a team that weeks prior in the Seattle Seahawks had only thrown, attempted one pass of 20 yards and had only completed half of them? And yet they tore us up in the secondary simply because we were giving up too much cushion, and they marched on us. I mean, I, if I had to pick one person to be my least valuable player, it would be Stephon Gilmore. Most valuable players, where I guess we're all a little bit different. I understand LaShawn McCoy. I do. And I understand Lorenzo Alexander. But do you know why Lorenzo Alexander is doing so well? Injuries? No. Lorenzo Alexander has been kind of the benefactor. You know, that's... What I think in my head, I look at his statistics. Lorenzo Alexander has been great and clean, you know, and when you watch the tape, he's getting a lot of cleanup sacks. He's getting his sacks because pressure's forcing him out of the pocket, these quarterbacks out of the pocket, or to step up too high in the pocket and then they get tackled. Jerry Hughes right now is my MVP of the team so far. And you never hear about the guy, right? You never hear his name getting called. Well, he's got a blocked punt to his credit that set up an opening touchdown on the road in Seattle. He's also sixth in the NFL in pressures on the quarterback and quarterback hurries. Okay, He is the reason that all of these other guys are thriving in a pass rushing role. Is because Jerry Hughes, even when he's being double teamed, is just he's too fast, but he's got a very violent punch off the line. When he comes up and he hand fights with guys, he, he doesn't have the size to bull rush tackles. But with his speed and just the tenacity that he hand fights with, he's scary out there on the edge. I Before I made this pick, I watched a lot of tape on him. And just, he's having a phenomenal season. And I feel like he's getting no credit for it. You know, everyone says, oh, Lorenzo Alexander with his 10 sacks. Lorenzo Alexander doesn't get 10 sacks without Jerry Hughes across from him. 
or the injuries. Jerry's doing the dirty work. I mean, last year wasn't he a hothead and getting a personal foul? Hey, look and look outside of the Cardinals game where he ripped off Carson Palmer's helmet in a, in a move that almost looked like he was trying to decapitate him. I mean, in reality, outside of that, I haven't seen him with his you know usual you know with his usual lack of self control. It looks like he's really got himself together this year, and I think this is the best single season he's put together in a Bills uniform. I mean, if we can just get if we can just find some consistency in our secondary, I have I have no doubt in my mind that our front seven can probably get more sacks in the second half of the season than we already have. That brings me to our closing question, you know, for this midpoint of the season review. Well, what are the things about the Bills, this is aimed at you, Chris, and you, Kyle, what are your reasons for pessimism and what are your reasons for optimism? We're going to start off, what is it about the Bills right now that makes you think that we've got a shot at this? Well, my thing is, let's see. Well, you're four and five. You're still in the thick of things, and you don't want to give up on the season just yet. It's just that optimism that they're going to just going to somehow turn around and they're going to just go on this winning streak or something. I don't think they're going to go win all seven, but they're just going to finally start clicking and making things happen. Just say, we've had these injuries, but screw it. We're still going to find a way to get through it. There is that hope that they're going to just figure it out. I don't know why they haven't shown me anything in the past 10 years when I've been a fan. It's been 16 years now, but I still got this hope that it's got to end at some point. So, so for you, it's just your fandom. Your yes, fandom my fandom can keep me into it. Yeah, Chris, what about you? I mean, got, uh, reason for optimism is, I would. I mean, I don't know. I'd have to look at whose contracts are coming back. Like Zach Brown's on here on a one year. I was or Alexander here on a one year. Well, I'm talking about the rest of this season. The, I'm not talking about the offseason. Well, because we're injured and our backups are proving their worth. So if we were fully healthy, you know, I would say like, oh, we've got great depth but our depth is starting there's okay. not there's not much for me there's not much optimism we have to win our next seven games to have a shot at the playoffs we have to go 11 and 5 if we don't go 11 and 5 we're not getting in the in the playoffs so that's so that's kind of you're saying there is no reason for you're passing on the optimism you're going straight to pessimism pessimism you're saying that there's no way we put a winning streak like that together. You just don't. You just believe. No, that we got to play Pittsburgh and we got to play Oakland. So you think that the hole that we're currently in is too much to overcome? Exactly. Any smart Bills fan would agree with me. Kyle, I haven't been think? a Bills fan long enough. Then I guess I, that's how I'm looking at it. Oh no, you're spending the night on the couch and we're watching <laughs> VHS tapes of when we were good. Oh Jesus, I can't wait. All right, guys. Well, I'll run a couple by you. Here's some reasons that people out there should be pessimistic about the Bills making the playoffs this year. First off, our 1-3 record in the AFC. I mean, we're already in a hole in the wildcard race. You're talking about the AFC West could field three playoff teams. I mean, they currently have three teams with seven wins. And the Bills are in 11th place overall in the conference. Three of our next seven seven games come against top 15 offenses. I mean, the Bills haven't been bad, but we're 14th overall in total defense, and we're going to go out there and play a handful of high-scoring offenses. I mean, that, that would seem like a recipe for disaster, right? Most cases, yes. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you why I'm optimistic that the Bills still maybe have a shot at this. 
Let's hear it. Now, I said it when I appeared on the uh, TV show, the uh, Bill Spinach TV show last Wednesday. I got into it with one of the hosts over the fact that I think the Bills still have a shot at going 10-6. and six. I don't know whether or not that's enough to make the playoffs. It isn't. Don't worry. Considering that the AFC West has three teams with seven wins already. I mean, that pretty much almost guarantees that at least two of them are going to make it. You know, at least two teams, but possibly all three. But the things that get me confident about the Bills' season, because that's really all we can control at this point, we only have one elite quarterback left on our schedule, Ben Roethlisberger. We have two. Derek Carr is not an elite quarterback. Totally elite. He has not proven a damn thing. You can't convince me of otherwise. Five of seven, five of the seven teams that we're going to be playing are all have under 500 records right now. Two of them have defenses ranked in the top 15. That's it. Two out of seven. And they're the Jets and the Jaguars. Do either one of those teams really scare you? The Jets do because they already beat us. But when Bryce Petty's starting that game, does he scare you? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Every I, I think the one statistic that really gets me going, it's why I saved it for last. Every team that we play over the next seven games allows at least 115 yards rushing per game. The Bills are 4-2. and two. When they break that total, our two losses, one of them came to the New England Patriots here at home. I mean, that was a game that we knew they were going to smash us in. I mean, you had to see that coming. It's Tom Brady. But then you look at how we've played and the teams that we've been able to run on. I don't see any reason to fear those teams. If we can control the ball and control the clock and keep our defense fresh, those are all winnable football games. Even Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh on the road has been a very different team than they have been at home. We get them here in our house, which is a place that they, they haven't proven that they can go on the road and win football games. So it's going to be like that, that one to me. I mean, I think the most difficult game looks like the Raiders. But again, it depends on whether our secondary wants to show up or not. Because the Raiders have one of the, la- one of the lowest ranked defenses in football. They allow a ton of points. So if we can control the ball, capitalize on our scoring opportunities, I see no reason why we can't beat them. You know, I, There's not a single team on our schedule t- from here to the end of the season that I don't see at least a reason why we can't beat them. I think we should be in all of those games and maybe even have a shot to win them. Well, scoring 25 points a game, you should be in every game. Absolutely. I mean, our offense, what are we? I'm going to take a look at the statistic now because they've changed since the Monday Night Football game. But... We're 13th in the NFL in scoring. Or no, 9th at 26.3. But we're 13th when, because we get in points against because we give up 22.6 points per game. If we can find a way to get that number down, I don't see a reason why we can't win more football games. And so that brings us, as it does every week, folks, I mean, what do you feel? How do you guys feel? What do you think about where we're going this season? Let us hear it. At Rock Power Report on Twitter. At rockpilereport 716 at gmail.com. I want to hear about these things. I want to know what you guys think about where we're going to go this season. Because it's going to be interesting to look back at this and look back at how I feel today, seven weeks from now, when I find out where it is we're going. I don't know where we're going to end up, but I'm confident. Okay, I feel good about this team. 
I do. I think that our offense is performing to where it needed to be. And if we can just get that defense to do what Rex Ryan has been known to do. And that's going to bring us to the AFC East roundup portion of our show. So every week we take a look at what went on in the AFC East. It was a lot easier to keep track of this week because the Bills weren't playing. I mean, it starts off with the Patriots. I mean, what an awesome game. And I mean that just not just because they lost, but because it was a fantastic game that came down to the wire. It was a primetime game that played like a primetime game should. You know, it, it had everything. Back and forth, scoring right before halftime, you know, big plays on both sides, and then just a really exciting finish. And then you look at what the Patriots, you know, now they're 7-2. and two. I don't think they're in any fear of losing the, I mean, they're, they're upcoming slate of games. I don't know who else can beat them. I mean, they could, they could finish the season 14-2 and two at this point. One of the things that came out of the game was the Gronkowski injury. That's big. I mean, they're talking about him possibly having a punctured lung. If that's the case, I don't know how much more football he's going to be able to play this year. I mean, Kyle, what do you, being a doctor, what do you know about punctured lungs? Like, what the hell? Uh, not, not as much as I, I'd like to think I know about him, but uh, just reading up on some stuff, I mean, he can miss a few weeks because it is soft tissue. It will heal on its own, but that's something you just have to wait for the body to heal up. Um, he might miss some time, but it's not like he's going to miss the rest of the season, though. Well, no, but it's just, I mean, they're upcoming. It's not something to take lightly, though. Their upcoming slate of games is soft. I have no doubt in my mind that the Patriots will continue to do what they they do and just piss all over other teams. And it starts with the 49ers this week. But, uh, man, that that game on Sunday was just something to see. And it ended in a Patriots loss, which felt pretty good. Then you got the Dolphins. Dolphins pulled out an improbable win on the road against the Chargers. We watched the tail end of that game in my basement, and I, I'll tell you, the Dolphins have been playing some pretty good football, but so have the Chargers, and I expected the Chargers to take that game. But I'll tell you that Gase has that Dolphins football team looking like a different team than we saw the first couple weeks of the season. I mean, they're really firing on all cylinders. Now they're sitting at a 5-4 and four record. They're in second place in the division, and they're one spot outside of the wild card. They do have some tough games coming up on their schedule, and they play more on the road than they do at home, which obviously makes it difficult. But considering how they just went into San Diego and just thoroughly, I mean, it started with pressure. Their defensive line is all of a sudden creating pressure, which maybe Mario Williams finally understands that he won't be around at the end of the season. They'll cut him. He won't get paid. I have a feeling Adam Gase, just the way he talks, just the way he carries himself, he's the type of coach who would do that, to send a message to the rest of the players saying, listen, earn your paychecks or you won't be getting them anymore. Whatever he's doing over there, it's working. And, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see if – because right now they're seventh. They're one, they're one spot outside of a wild card berth at five and four. And it's crazy to think that they're only one win ahead of us. And they're that far ahead in the in the conference, you know. I, they're going to play the Rams on Sunday, in what's going to be Jared Goff's first career game. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, and we all, I, I think everyone here can agree that LA just gained a couple thousand more fans <laughs> this week, all pulling for Jared Goff. You know, and Chris, what do you think is going to happen in that game? Dolphins are going to win. Dolphins are going to win. What do you predict the score to be? Rookie quarterback against the defense is playing pretty well. 24-10. 24-10. to 
I'm thinking he's going to get two touchdowns to and maybe field goal. So we're talking 17 for the Rams and probably 31 for the Dolphins. I think they're just going to wow, abuse them with a few picks like they did against uh, Phillip Rivers. Eh, the Phillip Rivers, I mean, the pressure was just incredible. Yeah. And the Rams' offensive line is worse than theirs. So, And then speaking of the Rams, <laughs> being a given loss on the road, the Jets lost at home to the Los Angeles Rams by a score of 9-6. to six. I we I could, shut that game off during the second quarter. I, I was going to say, I wish I could tell you guys more about it, but I couldn't bring my. I would rather stab myself in the eye than watch any more of that. I'd rather be blind. It was just unwatchable. All of the points that got scored in that game got scored in the first quarter, right up until the Rams kicked a game-winning field goal. I don't think any part of that game showed up on NFL Red Zone during the entirety of the game. I think it was everything else. Oh, yeah, because if you missed the first 10 minutes of the game, you missed all of the scoring until the game-winning field goal. I mean, look at all the different storylines. Bryce Petty. Bryce Petty comes out in his first start. I mean, he looked average, I guess, by all accounts. I read reports that he didn't look as consistent as Fitz over at Gangrene Nation, which says something right there. If Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't good, and this guy looks less consistent than Fitzpatrick, you know you're not going anywhere fast. The Jets' offensive line, I, I took a look at the rushing numbers. Without Nick Mangold, their offensive line just isn't good. Okay, they're already struggling. They already had to put Ryan Clady on the injured list. Now they're missing Nick Mangold. They're starting Brent Giacomini, who our friend Kyle over at AFC East Bros just has a crush on. I, He's an incompetent boob. That's his quote. <laughs> According to Kyle Smith, Brent Giacomini is a, an incompetent boob. So... Their offensive line just isn't getting it done up front. And a byproduct of that is that Matt Forte, who a lot of people in fantasy football thought, he, everyone thought Matt Forte was going to have a bounce back year. Right, Chris? People people talked about him possibly being the 6th or 7th, 8th best running back in football. He just can't get going. None of them can because they're, they're getting no push up front on their offensive line. And that has been the identity of the Jets for as long as I can remember. They've always been a team who can run the ball well. And then their defense, I mean, their defense is still good. You know, their defense is still good up front. But I just, you know, without the ability to score points on offense, unless your defense can score touchdowns, you're not going to win many football games. The Jets, <laughs> the Jets are, they're in a bad spot. They're 3-5 and five now. And it's not going to get any better because they've got to buy this week, but then they have to go home to play the Patriots. And that got flexed out of Sunday night. Well, yeah, because it's not a watchable football game. Everyone who knows football knows that the Patriots are going to just curb stomp those guys. It's incredible. We're going to start this thing off. Week 11 preview. Bills versus Bengals. We're going to kick this whole thing off with, as we always do, the offensive scouting report. This just in. A.J. Green is really good. What? Right now, A.J. Green is the he's second in the league in receiving yards. And he's by far the biggest offensive threat that exists on the Bengals team. And maybe the entire NFL. Yeah, he might be one of the best wide receivers in football. I mean, he's in that Des Bryant, Julio Jones, Antonio Brown conversation. That would seem to make him a huge mismatch against a defense that hasn't been able to communicate and just has really struggled to this point in the season for the Bills. But here's an interesting stat. 
He's only the 12th most targeted wide receiver in football. Even as big and as strong and as, you know, I mean, obviously he's one of the taller wide receivers in football, yet he's the 12th most targeted. Emmanuel Sanders has more targets this season than A.J. Green. Does that make any sense? No, no. A.J. Green should be, anytime Cincinnati throws the ball, it should be to A.J. Green. I mean, and the other thing that I've noticed is I saw it a lot last night. So then I went back through a couple of their other games and kind of looked at his route trees and where his catches came. He, they don't ever send him across the middle of the field. All of his catches seem to be either screen passes or they hit him on just vertical routes up the sideline or they maybe try to get him up the seam. Or Hail Marys. That, like, that's it. It's always just a deep vertical pass. Which seems to make him, I don't know, it seems like a misutilization of his talent. You know what I mean? You're talking about you have possibly one of the best wide receivers in football right now on your team. And yet, as a football team, you've struggled all season. I mean, they're 3-4, three 3-4-1, and, four, three, four and one, I should say. They did manage to tie a football game. They're 3-4-1, and one, and they're 22nd in scoring. Okay, they only average 20.8 points a game. It's not very good considering you have a guy like A.J. Green on your offense. You should be feeding that guy the ball. I mean, it's, it's frustrating to watch it from a fantasy perspective. I've got him on two of my football teams. I just don't understand why they wouldn't get him the ball as, you know, more than they do, but I almost feel like that lack of him seeing, you know, like Julio Jones, they'll target Julio Jones sometimes 13, 14, 15 times a game because they know he is their most potent offensive weapon. A.J. Green doesn't get that treatment, and that bodes well for our defense. That and the fact that they seem to only use him on these deep vertical routes. Yeah, I I think that the other thing, you know, it's going to be all hands on deck when it comes to our secondary, trying to contain that guy. I'm not going to give anybody any illusion that this is going to be easy. But I watched a Giants defense that isn't very good. Hold A.J. Green, I mean, he got his touchdown and he got some yardage. But ultimately, his football team lost the game, and he was a non-factor outside of the first quarter. If we can find a way to replicate what the Giants did this week, I have—I mean, I think that we could possibly you know, shut him down for at least long enough that our offense can build something of a lead. I think it's an absolute possibility. I mean, he was also looking a little bit gimpy towards the end of Monday's, you know, Monday's game. That's going to be something else to keep an eye on. His health throughout the course of the week. And I think the, the other thing that I noticed about their offense, they struggle with consistency. We bitch every week on this show about how the Bills just do not convert on third down. Last night, the Bengals only had two third down conversions for the entire game. And in a lot of cases, even when they were trailing, they didn't try to go for it on fourth down. They didn't even try. They just punted the ball away. That speaks to bad coaching. Right there. I mean, if you're on the other, if you're on the teams, the other teams forty, you gotta go for it. You have to, you have to trust that your offense can get one yard. That's been a thing that's plagued them for most of the season. I mean, their conversion rate has been terrible. They're thirty six point nine percent on the season. Their offensive line just isn't doing them any favors. I mean, it's it's a huge weakness of their team. I mean, last night, the New York Giants came into that team. It came into that game only having 12 sacks on the on the season as a whole. 
Last night, the Giants' offensive line dominated. I mean, dominated most of the play. Dalton was constantly under pressure. There was one drive where they got a first down. He threw an incompletion and then got sacked three consecutive times to end the drive. It was incredible watching how poorly they played with pressure, but pressure coming from a subpar defensive line. I feel like against a front seven like ours, we could absolutely make Dalton's day a nightmare. If we can find a way to get pressure, consistent pressure. Um, I mean, I think we have more than enough talent, especially if Marcel Darius is ready to go come Sunday. I have no reason to believe that we can't eat their offensive line alive. And the running backs didn't look particularly explosive when they did get opportunities to make plays. I mean, as a whole, I was really disappointed with what I saw from them on offense. I mean, when you look at rushing first downs per game, the Bengals are in the lower half of the league. They just can't find a way to be explosive off the ball in the running game, and they're not very good at pass blocking. And that inconsistency up front is really hurting their team this season. Now, one of the other things I want to bring up about the Cincinnati Bengals on offense, they like these bizarre formations. They call it the Star Wars offense. Effectively, I mean, it's something right out of college football. It worked last night, Tyler Eifert. Uh, and it did, and that's the thing. It's it's the strangest thing. They come out in these offensive formations where they have a center, a guard, you know, and then they'll maybe line a tight end on the line next to the guard. You know, a guard on either side. You get your tight end, and then what they'll do is they'll do they'll start splitting out one of their tackles and two of their wide receivers and another tight end, and they basically give you a formation where you've got a wide a quarterback with an empty backfield, five men on the line. And then these two clusters of wide receivers and tight ends on either side of the sideline, lined up like wide receivers. As a defense, that that spreads you pretty thin. And what they do is, because obviously you're trying to put a man on a man, because you don't want them throwing a screen pass and having two blockers already out in front of them. But what that does to a defense is it spreads them out and limits the amount of safety help that you can use to contain the middle of the field. And we saw that last night if you watched the Monday Night Football game. Tyler Eifert was wide open, wide open. He blew the doors off this running back, and there was no safety over the top to help him. And Tyler Eifert caught, I, I believe it was like a 60-yard pass. It was, I think it was like 70 or 80, because they, like the, they were like on their 21 or 22-yard line. It was incredible. And it went down to about the 10. And that's the type of thing. And they ran it not just once or twice, but they ran it like three or four or five times over the course of the game. That's, that big play resulted in one of their touchdowns. They'll do this from time to time to throw off a defense and to throw off your rhythm and to throw off your, you know, your communication. And that's where we're going to – I mean, we have to be on guard for that because communication has not been good for our secondary. A play like that where they get a one-on-one with a linebacker, one of our safeties is going to have to recognize the fact that that's coming, that a play like that is possible. I'm sure they're talking about it in their meetings this week. I guarantee you that's going to get brought up. So, I, I mean, I think that that's going to be one of the focuses is these bizarre formations that they like to roll out there. And our defensive communication is going to have to be on point to combat that. On the defensive side of the ball, I mean, the Bengals still sort of are who, who they've always been, or at least who we've known them to be recently. First off, the front seven. They are the strength of that defense. 
The front seven for Cincinnati is, they're solid. I mean, they've got Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins. Um, I can never pronounce his first name, but Pecco, guy with the big hair. Bontes Burfitt. <laughs> Geno Atkins. <laughs> I mean, th- that's just talking about the defensive line. And like you were saying, they've got guys like Burfecht in the linebacker core. They've got Adam Jones and George Aloka. Okay. They're older second they're older secondary players, you know, they're older safeties and cornerbacks. But at the same time, they can still hit. And they still every now and again get to show off that they have ball skills. What I fear is the fact that they're playing a four three defense. Okay. In a four three defense, it, it's generally predicated on having smaller but and I shouldn't say smaller because Pecco's a huge guy and so is Geno Atkins. But Faster, better pass rushing defensive tackles than the defensive tackles that play in a 3-4 scheme. So what you're going to see is a lot of interior pressure. And then with a defensive end like Carlos Dunlap out there, you're going to see a lot of edge pressure. Considering that we're starting effectively a brand new center and we've got Jordan Mills, who honestly has been, he's been good in the running attack. But when it comes to pass blocking, he has been spanked this season. On multiple occasions. The Seahawks game, he was just getting run over in the pass protection department. It's He's just not adequate at that aspect of football. So while he's, a, while he's good at what he does in the running game, his struggles in the passing attack, have uh, pass protection, have hurt us. It's hurt our passing attack. And against Carlos Dunlap, he is a, I mean, he's an accomplished veteran at the NFL level. That scares the hell out of me that we could have pressure coming from all over the place on Tyrod. I mean, that's the one thing I see being the Achilles heel of our defense this weekend. The fact that they have a lot of solid players up front that are going to make life really miserable for a bunch of our kind of, I don't want to say outgunned players, but I just don't think without Eric Wood, I mean, I think even with Eric Wood, it was going to be a struggle without him. This is going to be a fist fight up front for our team to, maintain, you know, to, to create running lanes, to keep Tyrod Taylor clean in the pocket. It's definitely going to be a struggle. The one thing that makes me confident after watching their defense last night, though, was the way that they just hemorrhage yardage. They're kind of like the Buffalo Bills in that aspect. You know, we haven't done a good job of locking down on receivers. We've allowed a lot of guys to get open in our secondary. But when you look at them play... Their, their defense is, you know, they're ranked 24 in total yards allowed. 378 yards of offense per game their defense is giving up. I mean, they're in the bottom half of the league again. Yeah. It's, they gave up over 100 yards rushing to the Giants, who are the 32nd ranked rushing offense in football. That gives me hope. But when you watch the tape, a lot of it comes from the fact that they just don't tackle. Nobody there tackles. I mean, between I mean, you can't even isolate it to one player or one group of players. Linebackers, defensive ends, cornerbacks, safeties, everyone had at least one missed tackle to their credit. Odell Beckham Jr. got most of his yardage after the catch. He caught the ball short, would break a tackle or would juke a guy and get that couple extra yards for a first down. Or, you know, it was just incredible to see how they kept moving the ball. Their tight ends. Their tight ends aren't elusive. You know, William Ty isn't on anybody's fantasy football team right now, unless you're desperate. And at the same time, he managed to carve out 60 yards worth of receiving on six catches. He's not the most athletic specimen, but half the time they couldn't catch, they couldn't tackle him after first contact. 
that bodes well for what we want to do on offense. I mean, it has to, right? Correct, yeah. I, you would think so. You would think so. So, Chris, prediction for the game. Cincinnati will win. Cincinnati's going to win? Cincinnati's going to win 26-14. to 14. You think the Bills can only score 14 points in one of the worst defenses in football? Yeah. All right. You just watch. Okay. Kyle, prediction for the game. You're a pessimistic bastard. I'm telling you that right now. I'm going to be optimistic here. I'm going to say 35-21. to 35-21 Bills? Yeah. Yep. All right. I think that our, our, our defensive revival starts this week. Okay, This is going to be the week where you see our defense start to step up and answer the bell. I think, again, they, they average 20 points a game. I say we, because they're at home, I'll give them an extra field goal. I say we hold them to 23 points. We score 31. 31 to 23. 31 23. You guys are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Okay, and that brings us to our final segment here, Bill's Backers Spotlight. You know, most weeks what we try to do is we try to spotlight a Bills backers group out of town in the city that we're playing against on the road. So if any of our listeners out there are looking for a place to go, you don't want to sit on your couch with your jerk-off neighbor who's a Bengals fan or your cousins who don't know anything about football, why don't you go find these guys? This week, the award will the honor of being the uh, spotlight of the week. Bills backers of Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati. Now, this group... They've been around for over 30 years. They're currently hanging around about 185 members. Their chapter is run by Michelle Vezina and her family. Or, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. It could be Vezina. <laughs> no, it's Vezina. Is it Vezina? Because I look, I thought Vezina Trophy from hockey. That's what I look – I'm reading it right now. It says Vezina. Now, from everything I've read and everything that – you know, just in talking with her, they're an extremely organized group. They, they have their own newsletters. They run fundraisers. They even have their own shirts. They, they meet in the loft area of a bar known as Barleycorns, located at 2642 Dixie Highway in Lakeside Park, Kentucky. And I will be there on December 4th for the Oakland Raiders game at 4 o'clock. I'll be in, I'll be in Florence, Kentucky that week for, for work. Oh, so Chris, you got to go find him. I will be there at that bar. Now, you go to Barleycorns on Sunday, they feature weekly drink specials, Buffalo Bills-themed raffles, and other prize giveaways. And they claim, now I'm, I'm, I can't swear by this, but they claim to have the best chicken wings in the area. I mean, considering it's Kentucky, I don't know what the chicken wing market's like down there. I'll come back with my review in a couple weeks. There you go. Chris is going to go down there and just scout the place out. They pride themselves in their family-friendly atmosphere. That I don't like. <laughs> and, you, I mean, you top that all off with the shout song after every score. I don't know that you can ask for a better time if you're outside of Buffalo on a Sunday afternoon. Their claims to fame include being two-time winners of the Salem's Hot Dog, you know, Salem's Hot Dogs annual Fan of the Week competition. They throw these monster patio parties. Okay, and they obviously their pictures made it out. Salem's was like, oh, damn, these guys know how to throw down. They throw their own cookouts, complete with Weber's mustard. That's how you know it's Buffalo official. When you get, I mean, the Weber's mustard. There's nothing. There's nothing better. They also they're active with a lot of different fundraisers. 
Okay, not-for-profit organizations. But I think my favorite one out of, you know, just talking to her about what they get involved in outside, their local food pantry. Every year around Thanksgiving time, they do an annual food drive. And in exchange for donations or for canned goods, they you know, you get a ticket for a raffle towards unique Bill's merchandise and prizes. Okay, I, th- I think that the, you know, in, right around Thanksgiving time, that's an awesome thing for them to put together. It's good to see that there's Bills fans out there for as much as Deadspin wants to make us look like a bunch of jerks. There's Bills fans out there who are just good people. We're just looking to help. So if you're out there in the you know the Kentucky, Cincinnati area, you're looking for a place to watch the game on Sunday, I mean, especially this Sunday, I can't think of a better group of people to go hang out with. You can find them on Facebook under Bills Backers of Northern Kentucky and Cincinnati, and I'm, I'll throw a link to their website in the description of tonight's show. Definitely, if you're in the area, stop by for a beer and say hi. Guys, I am exhausted. I've been drinking. And i got to get out of here. Kyle, thank you so much for showing up. Folks, it's Dr. Kyle Trimble here to talk to us about soft tissue injuries and everything else football-related. Thank you for having me, guys. If uh, you, know, you have any other additional questions, I'm on Twitter at KyleTrimble88. And uh, I'll be happy to discuss anything you guys want with me. <laughs> we appreciate it. Guys. Predictions for the game, questions, comments, hit us up with them. At Rockpile Report on Twitter, rockpilereport716 at gmail.com. The Rockpile Report on Instagram. Oh, that's right. He's heading up the Instagram. Well, guys, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Kyle Trimble. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been The Rockpile Report. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.